0: For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics and the business and madness of fashion. Hello again, welcome back. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a few years or a little while, you might know... That with each series, I always try to do an episode on new talent and interview a few different designers in one go. Now, this one is a little different because the three young designers you're going to meet are part of an initiative by Ux Netaporte in collaboration with the Princes Foundation. It's called The Modern Artisan, and it's the second edition in 2022. And it saw eight fashion designers, graduates from Italy and the UK, work together at Dumfries House in Scotland. Now, Dumfries is so interesting. I've always wanted to go and I got to visit. So you're going to hear all about that. But while they were there, they undertook this crazy, intensive training program for several months, learning how to actually do small batch production. And the end result is this 13-piece capsule collection that's all about craftsmanship and sustainability. So they did things like worked with Carbon Sink, which is a like an environmental consultancy, to map the footprint and minimize the impact of each garment. Some of them use zero waste pattern cutting and they're obviously paying attention to more sustainable materials. They also used product passports or digital IDs. And we've actually got a show coming up about this in the future and what it means for circularity, but really interesting. Anyway, we'll put all the details in the show notes, plus a link to check out the collection in the episode description. It's shoppable now, and 50% of the retail price of these garments will be donated to the Prince's Foundation to support their training programmes. What's more, this collection marks the first time that Highgrove Gardens, adjacent to Their Majesty's King Charles III and the Queen Consort's private residence, has served as official inspiration for a fashion collection. Who doesn't love a royal connection? So yes, the crown... But this is really an episode about process. It's about how the clothes we buy get made. What goes into that? And if you can sew, could you do it? Because that's really what this made me think. There's so much more to this than the skills that I think we talk about. I mean, the designers got a real shock when they joined this program because basically they had to, I guess they knew before they signed up for it, but they had to make every piece of production of the collection themselves. And I think, you know, we're so used to hearing that the lament that fashion students don't learn craft these days. And there's so much emphasis on being the creative director or the big boss designer that we apparently neglect other parts of the process that are just as important. And I think that's what I sort of took away from this the most, that the skill required to sew a garment to the standard you would expect it to be at if it's hanging alongside other luxury pieces is kind of really intense. So this is a lovely episode to listen to if you're studying fashion or if you want to, or if you're teaching it. But I think everyone who sees designer gear, mostly or only when it reaches the store, I think everyone will find this insightful. We're going to start with a conversation with Jacqueline Farrell, who is a former fashion designer herself and the current education director for the Princess Foundation at Dumfries House. I want to thank Jacqueline and also Rosie Gaunt and the team at net a for bringing me to Dumfries and for being so into the idea of me making this. I know Rosie is a Wardrobe Crisis listener, so thank you, Rosie. And yeah, it was just, it was really a nice surprise to be invited to go up there. And especially, it, this wasn't planned, but having talked to Vin and Omi about King Charles for last week's episode, so it just felt like the stars aligned. Anyway, let's start with my chat with Jacqueline Farrell, who in Another Life, by the way, wrote three books about embroidery. So there you go. Okay, brilliant. Welcome to the Water Crisis podcast, Jacqueline Farrell. You are Education Director at the Prince's Foundation, and we're going to have a really cool conversation, I think, around this amazing project that's happening with the Uxnetta Porte and the modern artisans. But first of all, do you want to just describe where we are? Do it literally and tell the truth first and then we'll <laughs> do it broadly.
1: <laughs> well, we are at Tom Fri's House Estate in the uh- lovely East Ayrshire. It's pouring with rain and we've had to adapt our location to being in one of the lodge bedrooms in our five-star guest house, but it's very cosy and really relaxed. It's actually so nice.
0: I stayed here last night and I feel like I'm cushioned in country house comfort.
1: (laughs) Comfort is definitely the word, earthy and comforting.
0: But also it's pouring down with rain, which I'm also enjoying. I know it's weird, but I like the weather. It's kind of Scottish weather.
1: It's Scottish. We have a lot of rain um, and the weather goes with the scenery though it uplifts, you it, from the,
0: it's beautiful. it
1: uplifts you from what you're seeing around it's so beautiful right now with the colours it's a really inspiring season my favourite on the estate and in Scotland actually again.
0: I will just say we'll share some pictures on the show notes but it the gardens are so beautiful here because there are so there's autumnal reds and russets but there's also all these like Japanese maples I think they are but there's bright red plantings
1: there's been a really um sort of creative planting scheme Im- embedded by Melissa um who's our head of gardens and she she's sort of doing a lot more around shrubs and perennials and you know a little bit more of drama rather than just mm. pretty so every season it changes but there's some really interesting plants and a lot of the plants that you'll see actually are plants that give back not just for beauty but they're medicinal plants and health-based uh, I, properties as well.
0: I, I couldn't be more enthusiastic actually about being here because I've read so much about the sustainability work that King Charles does that the Prince's Foundation does and that's done here at Dumfries. It's and also the textile connection which is what we're here to talk about but could you just give us a bit more of a background on what
1: happens here at dumfries house so dumfries house is on the west coast of scotland it's a countryside location it's we have a stately home we have two thousand acres and that is a mix of um, sort of manicured gardens which are beautiful the queen elizabeth wall gardens we have an organic farm we have an organic education garden um, and we have lots of areas for the public to just come and enjoy and and be so enjoy your time in nature and um, within that we have education programs so We have 13 different curriculum education programmes across the foundation. So while we're in our headquarters today, we're actually based across the UK. We go from the highest point in Scotland. So we have um, premises at the Castle of May, with the former home of uh, the Queen Mother. And then we have studios down in London. And then we have recently taken over at Highgrove Estate. And we have an education delivery programme there as well around textile crafts and uh, fine furniture.
0: So last week's episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back, is with Vin and Omi, where we talked about (laughs) some of the amazing work that they had done as a result of working with the Princess Foundation and meeting King Charles when he was Prince Charles, and then all this crazy harvesting of nettles off different estates. It's actually amazing. But what's happening here is a lot more than just a beautiful place where members of the public get to now access this once private stately home, which actually the then Prince Charles bought, I don't know, a few years ago from a, an aristocratic family, right? That she
1: died or whatever. They yeah, it was acquired fi- it. fifteen years ago, and the house and contents went up for auction. And oh, the, ha- the Chippendale furniture. The that. Chippendale- I was like, hey, this table's not a Chippendale table. I just <laughs> I'm moved also it. hoping that this isn't a Chippendale <laughs> table. Haven't just uh, moved it around. But no, the house itself has the Chippendale furniture, and it's an incredibly unique uh, collection. And it was all up for auction. Pieces were already in London or on their way to London when it came to as well. Highness's attention at the time this was going to be lost forever you know it would have been sold across the globe and now it's held intact for the nation at Dumfries House and it's incredible in its craftsmanship.
0: So this is important and obviously of great heritage value but that's not why we care about this on this podcast we (laughs) care about this because of this extraordinary brilliant work that you're doing with young people trying to build pathways into the textile sector through education and obviously, there's other programmes here, we talked about the farming and the horticulture. We're not going to chat on that today, but just around the textiles area. It's so interesting, you're basically teaching craft-based professional skills to young people who might not have had the opportunity or advantage to get that kind of education anywhere else.
1: Absolutely. The the focus on the programme in the very, very beginning, it started in 2014, which... It seems a long way away now, but really was about reconnecting young people with sewing skills. That was the first mission that we took was how do you sew? And we were sort of tasked with a single, a single sentence is get young people to have a needle and thread in their hand and put on, sew on a button. Really? And, you know, th- that just seems so basic, but actually really rare. So we started with workshops for secondary pupils of age 11 and 12 and up and we have um, a beautiful atelier in the main house in the attic where we teach our But the kids groups. coming from where? They come from oh, all over Glasgow. We just had a 20 German students here, pupils from Germany, um, aged 14 to 18, we've got... The whole of the sort of West Coast probably uh, can reach us within an hour and a half to up to two hours of a single journey and they will make that commute because what we have is an incredibly unique offer. So just contextually, when I was a kid, because I'm old,
0: we did have home ec at school. It tended to be very basic. They taught us a bit of cooking. It was for girls and boys but it was a very minimal kind of part of the curriculum. I don't recall being taught sewing skills actually but certainly these things are no longer common in mainstream education and and I feel like that is a problem isn't it because we're only teaching academic stuff which of course is important but if you want to learn those craft based skills you're not going to generally be taught them in schools.
1: Yeah, I think you might be, depending on where you live, lucky enough to get uh, some really good textile skills across the UK. So, we've met amazing home economics teachers who are also passionate about the sewing and the crafting side. and That's that's part, good. That's part of the curriculum. Is it? And it's part of the Scottish curriculum that first and second year pupils have to learn to sew. Yeah, so they good. Do they? So, they do. They have to. Maybe do. I skipped a generation. Um, I don't know. Uh, but not necessarily across the whole of the UK. And it's not always possible for pupils to develop beyond those very rarely early stages and also the direction of travel from uniformed youth groups it used to be that you could learn to sew at the brownies or the guides or the scouts and that wasn't seen as a kind of um, strange thing to do now that's not part of it. it's all about adventure or digital tech and I think maybe there's a place for some of those uniform groups to reintroduce those handcraft skills and actually reward and with the badges like what you know what young people can learn and see it as this is a route into a career it's also great for the well-being and mindfulness as well absolutely
0: from the simple act of sewing on a button or learning to be familiar with a needle and thread there's a whole world of textile appreciation that could come and I know you're passionate about that talk to me about how the programs then move into
1: Perhaps more sophisticated bits, areas, Are they, weaving, yeah. and. <laughs> yeah, but they certainly don't stay. Um, I mean, that's like an hour of button, buttons and hand sewing. So we, every day they make something. So at any time a pupil comes in, they take away a finished product to industry oh, really? standard. Yeah. So we call it our takeaways. But if they've made a tote bag and they've never been in front of a sewing machine before and they've done a beautiful piece of applique, they can go home and have a conversation with their you know, their career influencers and their family. They can speak to teachers. And we've got stories of where pupils who really weren't engaging at school have walked around the whole school with their tote bag going, look what I've made. And I think it's just a different way of allowing pupils to shine and have, have their moment and get the praise. So sewing is a big part of it. The um, pattern drafting, I'm um, you know, understanding the component parts of a three-dimensional construction and, and fashion is really useful for those that enjoy mathematics. So it's not just a subject for those that are arty, and I do think that's sometimes where the home economics so inside um, is perceived. It's 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 like a hobby. But it's actually a career that can offer opportunities for anyone regardless of their skill set. So with the modern artisan, the students engaged in so many processes and roles within that programme, they did start off as designers. That was the shortest period in the whole programme, their design moment. And I think sometimes people think that's the only role in fashion is to be the Absolutely. designer. Absolutely.
0: And we were talking about that this before, right? I know that you've experienced this. I've also heard from many, many students on prestigious fashion courses that... Design is the only route or the most obvious route and that to find another kind of career path they have to do the legwork, it's difficult. It's like the prestige is all attached to the hierarchical idea of the designers on the top so if you're going to succeed you've got to be the boss and the boss is the design boss that's rubbish there are so many different really amazing creative pathways in this industry and we just don't talk about them enough
1: that's the whole root of it we don't talk about or celebrate them enough so we everyone will be able to name um the designer at the head of a brand we'll be able to talk about who's moving from what house to the next design house but the who's, who's the chief pattern cutter in all the design houses who are the production houses that are actually making beautiful clothes well-made sustainable people don't know that and there's such a place to explain that to the public and they also to explain to those young people that want to enter the industry you don't have to be able to draw you can be a really mathematical mind you can be a great speaker you can go and talk about the work You can get into you know the promotion side of it and the presentation side of it. you can be a great colorist and simply focus on one job around mm. dyeing and coloring or spinning and weaving pattern cutting Quality control, you know, the really um, people with a real idea for detail go into quality control, and make sure everything's of that, that great standard. So there's so many routes within the industry that people don't know about. Talk to us a little bit about this
0: modern artisan programme with uxnet So what is the goal?
1: The goal is... Oh, there's multiple goals. So actually, (laughs) the goal is to demonstrate that it is possible to produce a sustainable fashion collection, fully traceable with every single element and the chain considered around the the environmental impact. So we have offset the carbon, we have natural fibres, we have cotton threads, we have um, beetroot buttons, everything is... With a beetroot button. Uh, you'll see later (laughs) (laughs) tell us it's made from waste waste fibre so it's just looking at the other materials and innovations that are available within the industry that people are starting to say well is that a waste product can we do something else with that waste product so you know using your different natural materials for natural dyeing things that would normally be thrown away say in the food industry are actually now getting recognised as having another purpose Mm. so we've tapped into that sort of thing within the collection and taught the students wider than just this is how you sew a collection on Mm. a production line.
0: Um, I want to just ask you about that phrase modern artisan and the word artisan. I think that sometimes when we consider that word we think about Indigenous Indian sewing techniques or old-fashioned leather workers or something that feels remote and very, very traditional maybe. And I don't know, putting it together with that word modern it's not obvious. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is, is artisanship seen as a bit dusty? And I'm stumbling over my words because I know that we've got listeners who'll be like, shame on you. <laughs> we love artisanship. But, but, you know, how do you see those two words come together, modern and artisanship? And what does artisan mean to you?
1: I think artisanship and craft are words that actually sit the same in a lot of people's minds that they're not progressive words that they're they are rooted in tradition and maybe we don't have a place for tradition, um, but or it's just too old-fashioned
0: and we don't want to do it. Or... Yeah, it's,
1: it's seen that it's, it's seen that something that the elders did and maybe we don't have to do it now in our time of technology. But actually, by combining the modern approach, you know, innovation and technology, communication channels, data insights, with those skills that we cannot lose. That do way more than just put together a garment, then we can reclaim that word artisan. I think people should be proud to be an mm. artisan. And I, I would like more people to say I am an artisan and I think more people should respect anyone who says they're an artisan. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's also got kind of luxury, fabulous
0: connotations. The artisanal, it's lofty. But yeah, I do think there is a stumbling block there that maybe it's just not a word that you might feel confident using if you were... I don't know practitioner if you were like oh I'm really into knitting would you say I'm an artisan knitter
1: I think you know the way you just said that about a knitting someone that was passionate about their knitting but they said well I'm an artisan knitting designer or I do artisan knitting like that makes it seem more important and and more personal as well and there's a standard involved and so lots of people that do those you know home knitters don't even think of themselves as artisans or high-level craft people but if Fendi's tried to follow a knitting pattern there is so much skill involved in that area that we just don't recognize so I think the modern artisan is is really good as a project for shining a spotlight on what do you value as a skill set and what should you value as a skill set as a consumer Mm. as an industry and also towards what can we do if we value every part of the production process the difference we can make to the planet
0: can we talk about local as well What can you tell
1: us about the Scottish textile industry and tradition? Well, I was doing some recent research. So the area that we're based in, we used to uh, in the 15th century make bonnets. We made, oh, did you? we made um, lace. We had, Ayrshire white work, Scottish lace. Yeah, I don't even know. So, but you have to go back quite quite a distance. We had silk weaving, we had cotton weaving in the sort of Victorian era. We had our wool production. Um, we did Paisley Shoals, sort of 50, 50 miles away. So Driving through Paisley on the way here, um, the driver who's a local
0: was telling me that he used to go to a club called the Cotton Club in an <laughs> old mill. And it was an amazing heritage yeah. building, but it burnt down. But he said this was all cotton mill country, the next county over. But that that's all gone now and that those industries were not replaced. He was also saying that shipbuilding wasn't replaced. So you've got these stories, and it's the same where I come from in Yorkshire, of these industries it with a backbone of society disappearing and then not much coming to replace it
1: yeah I think it's been driven by you know profit margins going offshore and maybe just not that appreciation that when, when people didn't ask who made my clothes and where they were made they actually contributed to that happening so again with an educated consumer and asking those questions we can start to bring back kind of manufacturing in a reasonable way to the uk which is part of the future textiles mission we'd love to support the growth of uk manufacturing Mm. in whatever way we can the building crafts program focuses on the environment Related skills to preserve buildings that were built before 1919. Six million of them in the UK. We don't want to lose those beautiful heritage buildings. But how? What you do need to know is to use the right plaster, to use the right uh, conservation techniques, to know about the sort of wood and the joints, etc., that have to be utilised when you're uh, preserving buildings like that or working into sort of more of a a kind of green conservation and construction industry how can we actually look at the materials we're using there so craft skills for the foundation covers a whole range of of skills fine furniture making at high growth for instance like that that's a real high level craft
0: it's funny i just smiled at you i know you can't see me on an audio (laughs) but when we hear these things it makes us feel connected like Just hearing you say that about fine furniture skills, I was like, oh, how delightful. Like, we want to be able to connect with these hand skills that make us feel like we're part of a history, a heritage, a community, but also the future, like you say. I think it's really important, this stuff. It's like, I think it's, I know it sounds very esoteric but it's like the unlock to why we're so disconnected when you were saying we stopped asking who made our clothes or trying to find out where they came from if you go into a shop and buy a fast fashion item and you have no idea where it came from you don't know anything about textiles you suspect it's polyester but actually no one's taught you how to feel for that with your hands or
1: understand how material breathes or works that's why we're stuffed (laughs) We had a conference last week with uh, Fashion Council Germany, and we had our German secondary pupils and um, some British pupils on a week long exchange. And then we opened up the doors to a wider pupil and student audience as well as industry. And at the end of the presentations, which were uh, speakers from the woolist, you know, talking about the history of British wool and all the fibres and what it does and why we have to. Really reconnect with wool as a as a sustainable fibre. Businesses that have diversified to survive in the fashion industry, different processes that people are adapting to become sustainable. At the end of the session, we asked the pupils to pledge a change, and the pledges are incredible. You know, within three hours, they were looking at at, at changing a consumer behaviour. They were going to be campaigning more publicly with brands that they felt weren't transparent. They were going to repair and mend their clothes. They were, you know, they were doing all the things that our mission has been set out to do and they were pledging to make that change and the, the ideas come from themselves they that, hear it and they go i want to do this we said, said what well, we, we really like what are you going to do now and they were they were just thrilled to say i am going to do that and i think it's the information gap that we need to start blogging like telling people and showing people what how it can be done why it doesn't work you know why someone should be paid so little to make your clothes that just isn't fair it just mm. isn't right that someone lives in poverty so that you can have a 300 pound fast fashion haul that isn't right at all that imbalance and we have to be yeah, a fairer yeah. society
0: where does it come from in you you actually grew up around here I know
1: um I come nook yeah beautifully pronounced So yeah, like <laughs> you know you're s- my
0: first Scottish
1: podcast guest which is absurd it just occurred to me the other Uh, day everyone will be listening really carefully trying to understand the East Ayrshire accent I actually grew up in Cumnock which had um, at that time a thriving textile manufacturing base with knitting denim wear etc so it was quite a lot of factories but I was that archetypal person we're talking about I wanted to be a designer so I left Cumnock at 18 to go to Glasgow School of Art to be a fashion designer and seek my fame and fortune elsewhere Um, through various twists and turns of fate I set up my business with uh, the then Prince of Wales other charity, the Prince's Trust You sold him a waistcoat I sold him a (laughs) waistcoat Um, that took me by surprise when he asked if he could buy that Um, when we met at a trade fair, of course I said yes. When Um, was it? In the like 90s? 30, yeah uh, 1992 Um, I've still got a photograph of me meeting him for the first time But it's quite lovely that he's always been interested in textiles and. and sustainability we know that about him. Absolutely in the conversation at that time in 1992 was the fabrics I was using being linen and silk the inspiration coming from nature so certainly that that's my experience um, when I met him back then but coming from this area um, and making a move to work in the fashion design industry that um, moment when I met um, Prince Charles was actually pivotal in changing my career direction and it led Amazing. me so, so many opportunities Isn't so, that much funny? so long ago though that you came back and then yeah then i got invited back to head up the textile program here at dumfries house with <laughs> my mother saying you'll be back i knew you'd be back <laughs> didn't your dad used to take you here my dad and my art teacher this was a, it was my granddad when it was a private house yeah we used my dad um did actually some decorative pl- my dad ad- was way back then, and um, worked in decorative plaster work. So he did some restoration in the house in the sort of 70s. Um, and so we kind of snuck around at that point. And my granddad used to be involved in a small way on the estate as well, but it wasn't a, an open estate to no. the public. Um, so for a lot of a lot of the local residents, they'd never really had the chance to wander the grounds as freely as they do now or just come in and appreciate the, the wealth of opportunities that we have here for that sort of local um local resident
0: in between starting your label and then uh, working as an educator which you've done for many years and you're revered in that space you had some time at Viella. Coates <laughs> Viella. I mean
1: I remember this just tell us a little bit about that as a factory and as a as a mill. So there, w- there was a production mill in Paisley, the cotton mill that you referenced earlier, where your taxi driver went partying. That was a production mill for coats Viella, and I worked in the design studio, um, which was situated in Glasgow.
0: I can remember being a kid and mum going, ooh, it's Viella! <laughs> it felt lovely. The cloth felt
1: lovely. It was." Oh gosh a viscose fabric on the whole so it was um, a natural fabric from what I recall I actually worked on the th- the thread side so I was an embroidery designer for Viella because coats produced hand embroidery machine embroidery threads so mm. my job was to design um, inspirational products that you could use them. How much embroidery do we have left in this country in terms of an industrial level? None. None yeah absolutely none but we're hoping that we can help address that through the princess foundation so i'd say watch this space we've got something quite exciting coming in that respect
0: how amazing all right let's talk about the fact that 50 percent of the rrp from this new modern artisan collection will be pushed back into these programs here at dumfries to support young people to enter the textiles sector
1: well I think it's incredibly generous of the partnership we have with Hughes of that they support the training, they support the artisans and then the proceeds from the sale of the collection go back into the work of the foundation. We get to do our work, they get to support that and then they also help continue and perpetuate that work so the donation will go towards more pupil workshops, more community workshops and sewing and knitting and generally help us widen our widen our reach it's actually quite fab I mean on this podcast we rarely
0: promote collections or brands but this is a really quite a uh, I think it's fantastic basically this is ethical fashion in terms of the way it's been produced it's pushing the sustainability agenda but it's also ploughing money back into making these programmes available for the next generation of
1: kids yeah I mean people buy clothes usually to make themselves feel good but yeah. now you can buy clothes to guilt help free. others <laughs> yeah well, this is boss, helping
0: others it's because <laughs> the boss the big Italian Ukes boss. he came here to the first time that you had this open house at Dumfries didn't he yeah
1: and Federico Marchetti um, was a fantastic guest to show around on the estate in 2018 late 2018 um, and we we are lucky we did have Edward Enville on the same trip and Amy Powney so we get to have those conversations with people that are at mm. the absolute top of their field but Federico Asked during that that time, what like what, we what do? do we need? Yeah. What do you need next? And it was, we had our we had our pupil program, we had our community program, and what we needed was to take our training, which was local and six week programs for our local residents to go into the industry nearby. We wanted to do something. That really made a difference. That took them took it to that luxury skill set, so that we are making for the the top end of the market, and it was something that was much more complex to deliver. And he said, "Oh, so we told him." And then I think literally two weeks later, a proposal came in. The Modern Artisan. We're like, "Oh my God, somebody listened!" <laughs> so yeah, it's been great, and the whole team at NetSupport are excellent to work with we've got great relationships with them we work with rosie gaunt in particular who's the manager of the program for their side but it's just been it's just proper conversations and the right way to work with industry you've also
0: got uh been able to tap into some of these designer mentors you mentioned amy powney from mother of pearl she was on this podcast in episode i want to say Seventy, but maybe around that time. Um, also, Tiziano Guardini—he's been on this podcast too. So, designers who are really leading the way, independent designers leading the way in sustainability. You've also had Gabriella Hurst come in to mentor and give advice, right?
1: Yeah. So, there's a—I think there's been a kind of program of around twenty mentoring sessions. So, you're looking at Gabriella Hurst, who's passionate. I, you know obviously with her own label, and Chloé, about craft skills and sustainability. You have, you mentioned earlier, Vin and Omi, who are really about in- innovation. Breaking bananas. And, yeah, b- breaking all the rules and, and innovating. And then you have Amy Powney with really great knowledge on uh, traceable and sustainable fabrics and, and vertical production. So they got an insight into everyone's passions, but also the really practical parts of mm. the industry that you need to be aware of if you want mm. to make a success.
0: Now we're going to hear from Isabel Pennington-Edmead. She's a young British print designer based in Manchester. Her graduate collection was a dedication to her grandparents and the journey and experience they had in coming to the UK as part of the Windrush generation in the 50s from St Kitts. She loves colour and clashing prints and she says these were originally in her graduate collection nostalgic of the kitschy decoration that she remembers from her grandparents' typical West Indian home that she used to visit as a kid. If you have a look at her work from Graduate Fashion Week in 2019, he really is gorgeous, and she's just about to launch her own label.
2: Hi, I'm Isabel Pennington Edmead. I've always wanted to go into fashion, even from a child. Like, uh, I'd be cutting off parts of the furniture and sticking them in books as samples, and doing drawings and collecting magazines. I studied textiles and art subjects at school then went on to study my degree at Nottingham Trent University in fashion design. and then went on to study textiles for fashion at Manchester School of Art because I've always had an interest in print design as well. Um, so my parents are both teachers and then uh, come from a long line of
0: Farmers. <laughs> Let's talk about your experience on this program. I happen to know that one of the first things that you were all asked to do was to make a shirt from scratch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, if listeners have not learned to sew or ever actually been involved in any kind of production maybe you think that's easy that is not easy I right? think
2: the thing that made it so scary was we were told you're gonna have a parcel dropped off at your house you can't open it Um, you've got to open it on camera and then you need to start making up so we all said we were feeling it we couldn't open it and then we opened it we we're trying to guess what it would be we opened it I thought okay great it's a shirt um so I started off the day thinking I'll be relaxed and then towards the end, it's stressful because you're seeing other people on the screen, how far they're getting the, those pit like you can see them on Zoom with their mannequins or think, Oh no, it was like, it was like Great British Sewing Bee kind of vibe. It was
0: stressful. But the challenge is to make meticulously so that everybody's pieces look like they could have been made in production and that yeah. everything is matched up. Talk about the challenge of that because I'm really interested in how this programme has facilitated production in people because when you learn design it's rare that actually you learn all the different steps that are involved in making a collection and getting it to
2: market yeah yeah so at university I think you make your final collection and I did get taught all the pattern cutting and manufacture I did get taught. no all you didn't that. you tell me you had to pattern meg on a potato before we put oh no okay. uh, the uh that was that was the first year to teach you for, like if you don't know basic pattern cutting that's to Teach you, like, if you want to tailor something to fit the body, how you can tailor something. Did you really do it? A jacket on a potato? A jacket on a potato. Nottingham Trent. People that have been to Nottingham Trent all know. So when we first got to Dumfries House, we all made a shirt sample again when we came here. And then Laura, our tutor, got them all on the rail and said, do they look the same? We need them to look exactly the same.
0: Where could you fall down?
2: it could be even the handling of the fabric so even the ironing the pressing it you could stretch something I might handle something completely different to someone else so it got to the point where if you're both working on the same step you'd be working together checking with each other have you done that okay where did you stop stitching it it, to every (laughs) millimetre The silk evening dress, which is um, inspired by the Highgrove rose, which was one of the main plants at Highgrove. The colour. Yeah, the that colour. It's really beautiful red. Yeah. We actually, we picked the colour from the petals and we got the Pantones to match. And also it's got the um, the curved seam detail on the front, which was inspired by the topiary that we saw in the gardens. And this is a running theme throughout the collection, which it looks... Um, It looks quite chic and simple, it's very difficult to do a curved seam, so I think that is craftsmanship in itself. Fast
0: forward and you're now seeing the pieces that you co-designed, because you actually did it collaboratively
2: in this collection, for sale on the site. How do you feel? Oh, amazing. It's so weird. We were looking (laughs) at it before and we were saying, oh, it's next to a Gucci piece and it's next to all these expensive pieces. It just feels surreal.
0: It's funny that you say it's next to all these expensive pieces because actually I've seen the workmanship and the level of, well, the textiles that you've used, the quality of the fabric and the quality of the make you are producing a luxury garment but I can see that you feel like nervous around it
2: I think it's I think it's just from coming straight out of university you just it just feels a dream because a lot of graduates you're struggling to find a job I know I had moments where I was thinking I'm just gonna have to take a job in a supermarket to get me by so like seeing your stuff on Netta Porter is just even even though you know how like how luxury it is and that it's worth that it just still feels like a dream to know that your s- stuff that you've had your hands on is on there.
0: I've got to say I was really impressed seeing the pieces being modelled last night here at this event at Dunfrey's House they looked extremely coherent and beautiful it's interesting that you designed them in collaboration and part of the challenge was to work together on a collection that didn't just have your individual stamp on it right? Talk to me about how that worked.
2: I think so basically at the start, we were working between Milan and London and it was over Zoom, which was a bit difficult at times. But we did have meet up points where we went to Milan, they came to London, which was great. Um, But I think we all have our strengths and we all have parts of the process that some prefer to others. So I think we kind of built on that and kind of you can see how we've all collaboratively come together because if you look at our work individually outside of this we've all got very different styles and then we also had to keep in mind the Porter customer that it's not about us and our preferences it's about designing for the customer and what they would buy into
0: all of the artisans on this program come at this industry from different perspectives and have different hopes and dreams of what they want to do but you're about to start your own label it's called your name
2: It's all printed women's work, natural fibres, all printed in the UK um, in a closed loop system. So all sourced and able to be traced. And I'm hoping to be able to let all the customers know where things come from. I think it's, you're not able to say that something's completely sustainable, but what I want to promote it as is a brand where people know everything about the garment, who's made it, where things have come from. So it's uh, transparent at Dumfries House, they have the kitchen garden, and we actually did a dyeing workshop. Um, so nice. Yeah, with the from the produce from the gardens, um, so flowers. So we did flower pounding and um, trying out different vegetable dyes. I'm actually trying at the moment to grow my own produce, so I can use natural dyes in my collection. So I'm starting a veg patch outside my studio. I mean, I'm not very green-fingered, but I am going to try. And hopefully I'll be able to use those dyes in my collection. So I think that would be a selling point. People might be interested in knowing where the produce has come from that's then gone into the dyes. Because you can get some really vibrant colours from it, which is obviously what, well, when you look at my things, it's what I'm interested in, (laughs) colour. When you walk away from this experience, which was how many months? Ten months, yeah. What
0: do you think you will take from it, as a designer and in, in terms of moving your own career
1: forwards.
2: I've learned so much like sustainability wise, it's taught me how to design more sustainably, things to look for like in compositions um, in like how to design more classic pieces that people will keep. But also it's taught me a lot about the manufacture side. It's really helped me to perfect my skills. Laura and Alison have been the best tutors in teaching us all the traditional skills that are kind of lost and sometimes at university you do have to go on YouTube and think how do I do that whilst Laura and Alison literally taught us a way to do everything it as soon as we got there they said right we're not gonna we're not gonna patronize you but this is how you need to be doing your machine this is how you need to be stitching even though they knew we could sew they wanted to show us in a factory this is how you do it and this is the speed you're going before I started this I was probably going a slow probably yeah a very slow speed and then in there Laura had our machines turned up to about (laughs) 4,000 so it's sewing very fast.
0: Has it given you new respect for the making of clothes I mean I'm always thinking about this that we can be quite disconnected from making Uh, whether or not you're working in design or you're the consumer it's not always that easy to see how process works and how things are made
2: yeah I mean I think I've always had respect for it because I could sew but I think that's something I care about the most probably the ethics of it I just hate seeing some complex pieces and then seeing how cheap they are and knowing that someone will have worked as hard I know how hard the day can be if you're working on it all day and Then to think they're not getting paid a fair wage is just, I think it's heartbreaking. So I think, yeah, that's what I probably care the most about.
0: This is Emma Atherton. She's a women's wear designer, also from the Northwest. And her brand, Erosa, is designed not just to be size inclusive, but because she uses a lot of shearing, The pieces have also, they're adaptable. She says they've got the the ability to adapt across five different dress sizes. And they're amazing. I really loved them. She was wearing them when I met her and I kept thinking, what's that? (laughs) Her MA project, um, I'd actually like to wear it. Her MA project was titled All Bodies and it questioned fashion's obsession with skinny. And also asked like, what's broken about the system that not only obsesses with skinniness, but then plays on our insecurities around this to sell us more stuff and she wrote we use promotional taglines and hashtags like love yourself body positivity and inclusivity but as an industry do we really believe it ourselves she asked or is this just another way to jump on the latest relevant bandwagon so interesting
3: Hi I'm Emma Atherton I'm from the Wirral so Erosa had already come about on uh, during my masters which is what I'd done um, before the modern artisan I kind of came from that and straight onto the modern artisan um, it's this idea of size inclusivity and I kind of highlighted and felt that there was an issue within the way that fashion in general approaches the sizing system and how you go into you might be one size in one brand and one size in a different brand or you carry weight in a slightly different way you're a different body shape so that's where Erosa started and the sizing system started but that was it it was just a starting point and it was just a name and a, a brand logo and that's about it um so coming on to the project I kind of wanted to add sustainability into this anyway which is the reason why I joined the Modern Artisan program um because somebody pointed out to me hey This is actually a really sustainable way of dressing. If you're wanting to make clothes that adapts to body size and has the ability to adapt to five dress sizes, that can actually last you longer in your lifetime as your body changes. Mm. So I kind of already came in with that mentality of wanting to learn about sustainability and how to do this properly. I didn't want to just say, hey, I'm being sustainable without fully understanding where i was coming from or why i was choosing those things so what the modern Center project has done for me is i'm able to choose my fabrics much more carefully and i've even included some things like zero waste pattern cutting within some of the trousers pieces um because it wasn't something that even necessarily considered Mm of all the wastage that we do produce as as an industry. And I wanted to add this into the customer so I could make the best choices and be as transparent as well with the customer as possible.
0: I'm interested actually in just talking a little bit more about this size inclusivity um, failure, I'm going to say of our industry to date because I think we first of all I was thinking how seldom we bring together sustainability with inclusivity it's like we put them in silos and go oh can we solve this but actually obviously they're all connected but secondly I feel like glamorous gorgeous luxurious sustainable product that is also inclusive is not as common as it
3: should be I agree it's not as common as it should be um, I wish it was a conversation we were having a little bit more I <laughs> from tassels everywhere. <laughs> I do think that it's starting which is fantastic. I know on the modern, modern artisan we've seen within the some of the imagery that's being produced as well. Um we wanted to talk, uh, kind of include diversity within that photo shoot and within our sizing range as well. We're now ranging from a 6 to a 20 um in the modern artisan range which is Great. fantastic. Um because I do find that especially in the luxury market clothing tends to stop at a size 14 which the UK average is a size 16 and and I find that a little bit disappointing. Um, So I'm hoping that brands in the future will get on board with okay let's open this up just you know we need to celebrate body shape we need to start celebrating people in general rather than kind of boxing people off I think it's not necessarily the best way forward for us as an industry you're very empathetic and kind when you say that
0: whereas I'd be like saying we just need to do better it's absolutely ridiculous
3: (laughs) well mentally I want to say that
0: (laughs) but actually you are you are um offering a beautiful solution because your work is gorgeous you're wearing it I've seen you in it in the last couple of days and actually is so nice to see like I said those two things brought together where we're not just saying we need to address the size issue we're saying actually if we're going to make a sustainable industry then we need to look at all those aspects and bring them together.
3: Yeah I think it's about breaking things down and starting from scratch a little bit mentally and it starts with designers it does start with us Um, we need to take a little bit of a look at how we're addressing sort of designing around the body and designing around people. I think it's very easy to put your customer almost in the ether of this, this girl, this lady, this woman or man or person that we're dressing. But actually there's real people that are going to be wearing those clothes and how are they going to feel? And there's been so many times in my life where I've been in a changing room and got upset or overheard other people getting upset in the changing room. I don't want to do that. I don't, I'd be mortified if I was creating something and realize that somebody was feeling uncomfortable or upset about their, themselves in my clothing clothes are supposed to make you feel beautiful that's what we're, we're here to do is to make you feel amazing and that's what I want to do and, and hopefully it's working <laughs>
0: I think it's absolutely working
3: <laughs> I try I am everybody laughs at me because I am always front and center wearing in a Rosa piece. I think I try and I don't think I ever want to put a product out there that I've not worn and walked around in and washed and lived in it and see how it actually lives and breathes as a piece of clothing before I then actually put that out to customers I'm a big advocate and believer for that
0: we're in a very very glamorous studio we've been taking pictures of each other do you want
3: to tell us where we are Um, we're actually currently in Dumfries house which is the headquarters of the Prince's Foundation we moved here in January all eight of us moved here including the Italians uh, which I think coming to Scotland in January was a bit of a shock when they've all come from glamorous Milan And the estate here, I think we were all just so taken aback. None of us had been here before, before we actually moved. And we spent six months living and working here on the estate over at the Textile Centre, which is, um, I think, the old sawmill that they've turned into a beautiful studio and workshop. So we have plenty of sewing machines, cutting tables, um, lots of equipment within there. And that is all to celebrate, formerly known as His Royal Highness Prince of Wales, now His Majesty the King, Um, his love of artisanal craft and keeping artisanal craft Alive. So they have lots of different workshops around there, from woodwork um to was at the textile centre, and there's a STEM centre just around the corner as well, and it's all surrounded
0: by trees. <laughs> I went to the STEM centre yesterday on this tour and met the most incredible teacher who is teaching secondary school kids about lichen. I mean tangent, but I love this so much, and how it's like a bellwether for what's going on in the environment, and so where there is a lot of pollution the lichen is not present. Lichen's beautiful. I feel like that's, you know, if you don't know what that is, it's like it grows on walls and looks charismatic. When it's there, it means the air is clear.
3: Well, I didn't know that. I learn something new every day.
0: We do. (laughs) So what did you learn in the textile centre? So you had these incredible facilitators who have industry backgrounds. They've worked in production. They've been designers and they've got together many, many years of experience when it comes to making beautifully our clothing.
3: Yes, yeah, so Laura Gibson and Alison Struthers are incredible tutors who I cannot even thank them enough for everything that they've done and put up with as well. So it's not just sewing that we're living here as well. So the the day to day life as well they've supported us in, and they are both, as a, as you said, um, industry professionals with so many years of experience. And they're charged with what? So they um, actually. Supporters in the day-to-day of production, so every single garment that is on sale on the uxnet Netaporte websites website um, have all been hand-produced here at Dumfries House by the eight artisans together, and Laura and Alison were there to support us in production.
0: You weren't just making the samples, the pieces that are actually what you're going to buy have been made by you.
3: Yeah, literally everything. Apart from the knitwear, the knitwear was outsourced to Johnston's of Elgin, one of our lovely partners, and the knit vest was hand-knitted in Wales as well. I heard that. That is gorgeous. (laughs) They are. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, We wanted that real textural element.
0: But coming back to the requirements, the bar is high. You've got to sew a cashmere coat, a silk dress, (laughs) a very tailored, difficult collar on a shirt. You've got to make that just as high quality as all the designer pieces that are on the site. So if someone buys something from Gucci, they expect it to be perfect. If they buy something from the Modern Artisan Collection, they expect the same.
3: Exactly. I mean, we wanted to produce a luxury collection. That's what the training portion was about, was learning how to handle these really luxurious, expensive fabrics that at university we might not have had access to. I mean, I didn't have access to silk and cashmere when I was at uni. How useful was it for you to have industry experts
0: who came in as part of the programme to mentor you, the likes of Gabriella Hurst? Talk to us a bit about that.
3: I mean, that was one of my favourite parts of the programme. I think everybody probably will say the same Um it was really exciting to know that these incredible people, these pioneers within sustainability wanted to come and share their knowledge and speak to us. Um, so we've learned so much and some of the things that we learned through our mentorship sessions actually became a part of the uh, the design process too. So zero waste pattern cutting and then also going forward with our own work after the, the Modern Artisan project. I mean, I've learned so much. I mean, Bav Taylor with some of the, the kind of her general holistic ethos is something that I'm trying to include in my everyday life, not just my not just my, uh, my brand. Um, so it's been helpful overall. And everybody's been so lovely and so gracious. And to know those people are also just a, a, an Instagram message away for us as well.
0: Okay, so part of the way that this collection has been produced is in alignment with the Infinity product guide which is basically Yksneaportes circularity strategy and I love that you're working with these digital IDs these product passports which have been created by Natasha Frank who is the founder of Eon but it's a collaborative thing so essentially we're trying to get the industry to figure out ways to track assets through the system so imagine you make something and then you pass it on to the next owner, you lose eyes on it. Nobody knows. Maybe you can read the tag that says made here. But beyond like fabric content until this point, we've never really known the story behind how things are made and also where they go after their first, second, third life. This could solve it. You're actually some of the first designers to use this in a collection, this idea of the digital ID or product passport. Tell us a bit about that.
3: Well, first of all, I think it's really exciting and, and kind of a big privilege to be a part of this sort of I would not want to say pioneer because I feel a bit it feels a bit too grand but yeah it's really exciting to be a part of this new technology because I do believe it is a huge thing for a future of our industry because when you scan the qr code on the label um, it takes you through the entire story of the modern artisan project um, the carbon sink and the carbon neutral aspect of the the entire collection Um, and we wanted to really bring the customer along that experience of how it's been made i know that there's a big trend at the moment on instagram of i made your clothes we wanted to do that we wanted to show hey we're the faces behind what you've actually done we've made these things by hand this is not just about the fabric content but if we've got a story behind the fabric as well this is with everything has been chosen for a reason within the collection and to really really highlight and showcase that the digital idea is such a great tool um, and as you said to keep track of, of the garment's life as well is is going to be really interesting
0: last but not least is Emily Day who's just started her own brand called Day Studios and that is D-E-Y it's a small business based in Middlesbrough and it's all made to order women's wear now Emily would like people to Recognize the challenges facing young design graduates and particularly those outside of the fashion capitals. She was determined to start her business in Teesside where she's from and says being part of a programme that allowed her to rent studio space at the university really helped her. But I think this is an under-discussed issue that there's just not enough support out there for young creatives who want to go out on their own and are not privileged by you know useful connections or we always talk about is who you know, although I've got to say, now Emily Day can say she knows the king, (laughs) which is a pretty good place to have ended up having started out knowing no one. But seriously, I think you'll find Emily very relatable. And I think she's absolutely right that, okay, not everyone's going to be lucky enough to get into a programme like this modern artisan one. But we do need as an industry to put more infrastructure in place to support young people who've got big ideas but don't necessarily have big networks or big budgets, OK, let's hear from Emily.
4: Hi, I'm Emily Day. I'm in the process of setting up my own business, um, Day Studios, and it's all about, obviously, sustainable collection. It's all based on a pre-order basis so that there's no wastage. I'm handmaking making everything um, and using materials that are mainly dead stock, so it means that a lot of the garments are quite limited editions. so obviously more, which I think is more exciting because it's kind of more one-of-a-kind as well. Uh, So I'm from Middlesbrough and I studied fashion design at Teesside University so rep in the northeast, (laughs) The ethical impact of the fashion industry, I think to be honest it's quite scary actually. It's such a big problem. I think that it should be taught from a younger age um, and just I think the idea of fast fashion it's so dangerous really. I think it's I think, I think it's crazy that it's it's got to this point and nobody's really doing anything about it. When I left uni, I did a graduate programme with the university. It was like a three-month thing, and it was an exhibition at MIMA, which is like the local art institute, um, and I was part of the Chemical City exhibition um, and I curated a lot of the sustainable fabrics um, that are sort of alternatives to different things that we use today. Um, so... Before coming on the program, I did have quite a lot of knowledge in that side of things, um, but I've learnt so much more through the program.
0: Can you just tell us a little bit about what happened here yesterday?
4: Yes, yeah, so we were in the tapestry room in Dumfries House, and um, all. Excited but very nervous for um, everything. There was actually a piper. Yeah. Is an amazing
0: tartan-clad Scottish bagpipe player who he kind of to came be in at with all the, the events.
4: He appears all the time. It's quite amazing, very Scottish, um, and yes. Yeah, so he led all the models through um, wearing everything that we've spent the last ten months making which was quite a surreal experience to have people there looking at, especially because we've handmade everything, so we've literally touched every single piece, which is quite crazy when you think about it because I don't think that really happens anywhere these days.
0: (laughs) Did you meet King Charles?
4: I did. Did you? Yeah, we met him twice, but he was Prince of Wales at the time. He was really lovely as well. We were all like so nervous to meet, especially the first time, panicking, and then he just kind of wandered out and (laughs) and came and looked at all of our stuff. He was lovely. It was really cool.
0: Actually, his support for sustainability in general, but also for the textile sector and for young people is tremendous stuff.
4: Yeah, I think I always knew he had the background of, of and what he's done, but being in this, I didn't realise how much he's actually done for it and how much people now, it's kind of more of a new thing that people are interested in sustainability, but he's been doing it from the start. <laughs> what is your biggest takeaway then from being on this programme at the end of the day, no matter what you make, if you're making a collection, it's going to have an impact in some way. I think it's just about making the right choices to reduce the amount of impact that it's having. I'd not even thought about trims, etc. before this programme, but with, within this um, collection, we've used like all cotton threads, um, we've used like beetroot buttons, stuff like that, so that at the end of the, uh, the garment's life cycle, it can be as biodegradable as possible and I find it more difficult because it limits your choices but then in a way that kind of allows you to narrow down which choices you've got um, and I think that you have to start from the design aspect it can't be an afterthought you have to have because the way that you make things it has to be from the get-go that that it needs to be made in a sustainable way. Um, I think which we've learnt loads through this because we'd pattern cut something, like the blanket coat, for example, it's zero waste. But then when it came to actually making the sample, we were going to do binding, but then that would have waste because you'd have to trim the binding at the end of it. So then we had to go back to the drawing board and ended up like French seaming it instead so that there's literally no waste at all. So it's it's quite complicated. You've kind of got to think about everything all the time. Um Which is difficult, but it makes it more exciting.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you say it makes it more exciting, because I think we're actually putting a lot more pressure on designers to do more, shall we say. Traditionally, a designer had to think about functionality and aesthetics and then stop. I think they still are. They imagine the garment on a runway, and then they forget about it. Not because they're terrible people who don't care, but because the education system hasn't asked them to consider the next part.
4: Yeah. Yeah like i say it needs to be taught from a, from a young age it's a catch 22 because it's at the moment it's a usp that you say that you're sustainable that you say that you've got all these things but really we don't want it to be a unique selling point it needs to kind of be the norm um which might put me out of business in years to come but but
0: um what does it mean to you to have netaporte getting behind a program like this that gives opportunities to young designers
4: I remember seeing the advert for the programme and I was applying for it and at the time I'd have been applying for so many things and not hearing back from places and because it's hard to get into the industry um, especially in I find in in the north specifically northeast because there's not many places that have like great opportunities I remember seeing the video for it and I was thinking, oh, I need to get on that. Like, that just looks like... Because it's not just you making it or, design, or not just designing it, it's like both. And it, just to have that end-to-end process, I think it's a one-of-a-kind opportunity and I think I feel very, very lucky to be on it. I'm very proud to be a part of it. I think if they can carry on doing things like this, then it will change the industry for the better.
0: I'm interested to know what you think how you think the industry could change. You're at the cusp of change. You're the next generation who's going to take this forward. What's the biggest takeaway you've had from this and what do you think the industry should take from it?
4: I think that to be sustainable, to be ethical... you have to think of everything at once and it's a big job and it's a big task to take on but it's worth it and it's kind of has to be that way there's so many different aspects and there's so many ways to be sustainable I think that it's not just sort of one way like it's not just the fabrics or it's it's not just the design it's it's it has to be everything it has to be all the ethics behind it like who's making your clothes are they getting tre- fair um where your material comes from, are you importing all this material when you could be sourcing it locally? There's so many places in the UK that have, well, I've noticed, like, learnt that through this process, especially in Scotland, like, all the mills and stuff, that there's there's a, some amazing places to get fabrics, and I think sometimes it, you don't think of going local, which is silly, because it's easier to go local, because you could just go literally to the mill, and, yeah, and, and sort of... Are you adding things to your designs that don't necessarily need to be there? It's just you're choosing it just because. I think it's it's having, no, it's there for a reason. There has to be a reason why you're doing these things. Because if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, then just don't bother. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram, at The Wardrobe Crisis. And I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs Press. My friends don't feel
2: that I'm carrying. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you.